I'm going to be reading uh, from Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, if you'd like to follow me along. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you'd join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful and thankful that we can all gather here today. Uh, we pray for this church. We pray for everybody that's come in here. Anybody that's questioning whether or not uh, they're in the right place, this is the right place, Lord. We give thanks for that. We ask that you bless the staff of this church. It's not easy. They work 24-7 to run this place. And we ask that you uh, watch over this coming week, too. And we ask forgiveness of our sins. And we pray this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Our theme this year for 2022 has been the theme of strengthen, and we have uh, focused on that a lot in some of our messages and programs and ministries that we've been doing. Uh, and so as we come to the last quarter of 2022, uh, I thought it would be good to kind of come, come to the end of the year and do a series called Strong Church. Now my aim with that might be a little bit different than what you're thinking. Uh, by Strong Church, the uh, the, the angle I'm taking with that is this, and I, I think this was mentioned last week, but just this idea of a strong, strong Christians make strong marriages. Strong marriages make strong families. And strong families make what? Strong churches. That's the angle. That's the idea. And we spent a lot of time, especially as we made our way through Luke, verse by verse through Luke, uh, thinking about what strong Christianity looks like, especially as we consider the Sermon on the Plain, uh, where Jesus defined for us uh, what true biblical discipleship looks like, uh, really a profile of, of disciples. Uh, so what we're going to do for this month, then we'll take a break in October, because October is our month of missions, and our theme for the month of missions is Defend the Faith. We have a lot of great uh, speakers lined up for that, a lot of great missionaries lined up for that. So September, we're going to focus on marriage, and then again October, Missions Month, and then November, we're going to focus on family. So the idea is, again, strong Christians make strong marriages, make strong families, make strong churches. Now, I decided September to do marriage uh, because at the end of September is our, our marriage retreats, and you saw the flyer. Uh, that's, that's in your bulletin. This is our third year doing this. Um, the Lord's really blessed through this. This year we have Brent and Janet Oakwin. That's how you say that, A-U-C-O-I-N, or so I'm told. I always butcher it, but I'm pretty sure it's Oakwin. They can correct when they get here. Uh, but that's Brent and Janet Oakwin. That's September 23rd and 24th. Uh, that's absolutely free to anyone and everyone. Uh, so if you haven't signed up for that yet, I encourage you to do so. Last I checked, we had a little over 30 people who have signed up for that. Uh, so thankful for that. Uh, there's still room for more. Uh, it, it ends with a catered candlelight dinner, uh, so it's, it's designed to be a time of not just tons of information. If you ever go to a marriage retreat or any kind of conference and you come away more exhausted than when you were there, this is designed to be a, a time to relax, open up, be, in challenge, be challenged by the Word of God, and maybe draw closer together as a couple. That, that's for sure our aim, our goal with it. Also on the t- September 22nd, the night before that, which is a Thursday night at 6 o'clock, there's a ladies' fellowship that's planned. 
uh, Janet Elkwin will be uh, sharing uh, what the Word of God says about anxiety. And also at 6 o'clock on September 22nd, uh, open to anyone who's interested in biblical counseling, uh, Brent Oakland will be sharing some thoughts on what are the current cultural issues that we need to be aware of as we seek to saturate Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so those are some of the things we have planned. Uh, this strong church series is designed to prime the pump for that marriage retreat and, and encourage us for that. Uh, but that's that's the plan. That, that's what we're doing. Best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. Uh, but we are trusting the Lord. And if he wants to change our plans, yes and amen, his plans are 10,000 times better. <clears throat> so Galatians 2.20, that is our text this morning. And the big thought that I want to bring across this morning with the Lord's help is that if you want to have a happy, enduring, thriving marriage, then what needs to happen is, and I'm just going to say it bluntly, is you need to die. And I need to die. And I'm going to explain it as we go. Uh, but Galatians 2.20 uh, talks about this death that we have in Christ and this life that we have in Christ. This morning I'm focusing on the death part, how you died. When you placed your faith in Christ, you died. But also when you placed your faith in Christ, Christ came to dwell within you and you live. And how those two components are crucial uh, for uh, a biblical marriage that honors and glorifies the Lord. That, that's the idea with Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 is a stunning verse, perhaps one of the most stunning verses in all of Scripture. Uh, it, it summarizes very, very well in just a sentence or two uh, the entirety of the Christian life. You could say it stands as a bright star in the, in the, in the night sky, uh, showing to us what it means to be united to Christ. And I wonder how often you think about that, that idea of being united to Christ and your union with Christ. I think that's a very, very crucial doctrine. I think it's also a very, very practical doctrine. So we're going to open up just by explaining what does it mean that we are united with Christ. And if you're following in your outline, if you like to do that, you see that the first point this morning is that this union with Christ is a flesh union. Uh, Paul writes by inspiration of the Spirit in verse 20 that the Lord Jesus Christ, at the very end of the verse, quote, gave himself for me. That is the foundation of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for me. Through his incarnation, the Son of God took on flesh and became one of us. He did this through the virgin conception, yes? Where the Spirit came in power upon Mary and conceived our Lord and Savior, in her womb. And thus, the Lord Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man. Not a hybrid, not a mix, not 50-50. 100% God, 100% man. He was a real human being, just like you and I, except for sin. My goodness, that's the marvel of the ages. That's the wonder of the ages. That's the wonder of Christianity. One of the distinctive traits of Christianity that Jesus took on flesh to live a perfect life on our behalf. And what is more, not, not only did he live a, a perfect life on our behalf, but as the text says, he gave himself for me. Why? 
Well, just a flip of the page to uh, Galatians 1.4 answers that for us. It says in Galatians 1.4 that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our what? Our sins. And in giving himself for our sins, it goes on to say, to deliver us from the present evil age. And Jesus didn't do this as a radical, going off on his own thing, but he did this according to the will of our God and Father. That is what is meant by he gave himself for me. He took on flesh and lived a perfect life on our behalf and then died in our place. He bore God's wrath for our sin, our substitutes, to take the penalty that we might be redeemed and rescued from sin. So there's the flesh union. There's also a spiritual union in our text. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this because that's, that's next week's sermon. Uh, but in Galatians 2.20, you see the spiritual union because it goes on to, or Paul says earlier in the verse 20, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this spiritual union created by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit carries us into Christ. And in the language of 1 Corinthians 6.17, he joins us to Christ. That's, that's the work of the Spirit. My goodness, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is an incredible truth. Christ in you. Christ in you. That is stunning truth, isn't it? Christ in you. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ lives in me. That has massive implications for marriage. We'll unpack that some more next week. So it's a flesh union. It's a spiritual union. It's also an extensive union. By that I mean we share in the life and the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are profoundly united with Christ, profoundly identified with Christ, so much so that when he died, we died with him. And when he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. We are profoundly united with Christ. Uh, For this morning, I'll just focus on the fact that we're united with him in our death. And next week I'll focus on the fact we're united with him in new life. Uh, I think few Christians seem to realize this, that we know that Christ died for us. We rejoice in that wonderful truth, his substitutionary death in our place. He died for us, but we often don't recognize or understand that we died with Christ. And the massive ramifications that that has for our Christian life. Paul writes, you can see it right there in verse 20, right right, right at the beginning, I have been what? Crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. That's, that's nothing short of amazing. As you just think about this truth that Paul packs in to just this one verse, it's staggering to think about. So we died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm so identified with him that, that his death is my death. That's our unity with him. He didn't just die as our substitution. He died as our representative, our federal head. 
Uh, the scriptures unpack this a little bit more in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. If you want to turn there for a moment, I, I could just read it, uh, but I want us to, to see it and the, the important cross-reference that it is, the Galatians 2.20. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Keep your finger back there in Galatians, but Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. God's Word says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So catch Catch that opening phrase where he says, we know that our old self was crucified. Your old self refers to the old you, the person that you were before you by faith trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and were declared righteous in his sights. The, the old you is a biblical term for the old man, the old you in Adam, still under God's wrath, still unrighteous, uh, still enslaved to sin, under the reign of sin. You can say it this way, that when it says our old self, that that refers to all of me, all that I was before Christ. That's what it means when it talks about our old self. Now what happened to your old self? It was what? Crucified. It was crucified with Christ. The old self is now dead. The old self, the old you, the unrighteous you, the sinful you is dead. Crucified. You are dead to sin. That's what it goes on to say. He did this in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, you are dead to sin. Sin has no more penalty or power over you. Yes, there's still the presence of sin when the Lord returns that will be taken away. But the power of sin and the penalty of sin is gone. It's gone. You've been crucified with Christ. How is that possible? Because you died. Because you died. That's, again, what Galatians 2.20 is saying. Flip back to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Self-righteous, self-centered, self-kingdom-building you died. Paul says it two more times in the book of Galatians, in case we miss it. Galatians 5.14, Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And again, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world are starting to see the significance of your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The significance of your union with the Lord Jesus Christ is that my old sinful self is gone. It was nailed to the cross. I'm no longer under the power of sin. I have been and I remain crucified. Sin has no mastery over me. Sin has no dominion over me. Self-righteousness, self, uh, self-centeredness has been dethroned. The death warrant has been signed. And again, nailed to the cross. You died with Christ You no longer live for self. You live for Christ. Jesus has mastery over you. Not my will, but your will be done. Becomes the breath, the prayer, the the reason for existence as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your union. And of course the question becomes, how, how then do you become united with Christ? And I've already said it multiple times, but, but the way how you're united with Christ is by faith. You see, it's, it's, it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning. It's not enough to be simply baptized. Those things don't get Christ in you. It's very easy to do those religious things, which are important things to do, but those things, apart from faith in Christ, are vain and useless. You must first have Christ dwelling within you. How does that happen? Oh, it's so simple. Faith. Not by works. Faith. Paul says it this way in our verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in, not yourself, not in your good works, the Son of God. There is no salvation save by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And that faith is simply a recognition of your sin and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ who carried that load of sin for you. Uh, A way you could say, or a thing you could say about faith is that uh, faith is death to self and life in Christ. Faith is recognizing I can't do it on my own. You come to an utter end of yourself and you see that Christ is your sufficiency. He's your all. He's your everything. He died on the cross for your sin, and you place your faith in him. That's faith. And when you do that, you die. The call to Christ, the the call to discipleship, the call to faith is a call to die. Uh, Was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who died in Nazi hands during World War II, near the end, He says this quite powerfully. He says, quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. George Mueller, if you know George Mueller, uh, led led an orphanage. The Lord used him in many, many ways. A great man of faith and prayer. He was once asked about his Christian life. How how do you live the Christian life in, in the manner in which you do? And his response was this, quote, there came a day when George Mueller died. No longer did his desires, his preferences, his wants come first. That's faith. It's the day when you come to die. To die to self, die to sin, die to self-righteousness, and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to ask you, has that day come for you? Has that day come where you've recognized your sin and you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has that day come where you died? 
where he died to sin and, and self-righteousness and, and self-centeredness. Can, can you say with, with Paul this morning, I have been crucified with Christ? Is your faith and trust in him and him alone? Have, have you given up on self? Today is the day of salvation. If you have not decided that, if you have not yet died in that sense, there comes a time that when you must do that, you must stop living for self and ambition and power and pleasure, and you live for the glory and the honor and majesty of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way once, die before you die. There's no chance after that. It's pretty good, isn't it? Die before you die. There's no chance after that. You need to recognize your sin and die to that sin. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be crucified with him and die to that sin. And then when you die, you have eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you died before you die? If not, today is the day. Right now the Lord Jesus Christ is calling to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So that's our spiritual union with Christ, at least part of it. What I want to do is take that truth about death before you die and apply it to marriage. Uh, We've seen so far this morning uh, that the key to the Christian life is knowing that union and living in light of that union. It it certainly does not get much more life-changing than that, uh, than to know that you've, you've died in that union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But this is huge for your marriage. And again, I'll say the key to your marriage, the secret to your marriage, as as I titled the message this morning, the key to saving your marriage before you lose it, uh, the the, the key to having a marriage that glorifies and, and honors and exalts the Lord Jesus Christ is being able to say with Paul and live out with Paul, I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ I died. That's the key. The secret to marriage is I die. I die to sin. I die to self. I die to living for, for, for my glory and my praise. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's a good cross-reference. I'll read it. It says, If anyone would come after me. There's the invitation, right? Jesus is saying, if anyone would follow me, here's what you need to do. Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Here's how I like to say this when I do premarital counseling or sometimes when I do marriage counseling. I've even done this in weddings. I do equals I die. In fact, I've done in weddings where I ask the, the, the soon-to-be husband and wife, instead of saying, I do, to say, I die. That's what I do means. It means I die. I die to personal gain. I die to selfish ambition. I die to self-centeredness. I die to my preferences. I die to my selfish, demanding heart. I die to manipulation and control. I die to my own personal kingdom-building That's what it means when you're married to Christ. That's what it means when you're married to your spouse. Death to self. And again, how often does Jesus say you need to die? Take up your cross daily. It's a daily affair. A daily death to self. 
It's true that when you placed your faith in Christ, you died and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. But what Jesus is saying is you must appropriate this, this truth in your life in the way that you think and act and talk throughout the week. Milton Vincent puts it this way in in one of his books. He says, when my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do, I must die. When I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die. When shattered by hardships that I despise, I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. When enticed by allurements of the world, I must die. When wishing to keep besetting sins secret, I must die. When wants that are borderline, needs are left unmet, I must die. When dreams that are good seem shoved aside, I must die. That's powerful. And I, I, I tell you that, that this, this truth will revolutionize your marriage because nothing exposes how deeply selfish you are like marriage. <laughs> right? What else besides marriage? I mean, parenting is a close second. Man, it's a real close second. But what else besides marriage exposes how selfish and self-centered you really are? My goodness, marriage does that. Painfully so. Wonderfully so. Necessarily so. <clears throat> marriage is this wonderful sanctifier. Marriage is designed by God to help you and I kill sin. To help you and I mortify sinful desires and self-centeredness and attitudes and behaviors. The problem is we forget about that, right? We forget that that's the design of marriage. The design of marriage is, again, put it bluntly, the design of marriage is to kill you. To kill your sin. To kill your selfishness. That, 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 that's the design of marriage. But we, we forget that and we start to think, no, marriage is about my happiness. I mean, God wants me to be happy, right? So I'm not very happy in this marriage, so... Happy wife, happy life. Those words should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. Holy wife, holy husband, happy life. Amen? Because marriage, again, is designed to kill your self-centeredness die to self. We forget that. We start to treat marriage like it's a transaction, as if marriage is all about me and my personal satisfaction and gratification. I call this me marriage. There's a lot of me marriages around. Uh, Me marriage is very destructive. I'll give you two reasons why. Again, these are in your notes. Me marriage is self-centered. Me marriage is the exaltation of self. Me marriage is anti-gospel. Again, think about it. The Lord Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He came not thinking about himself, but he came thinking about us. And so he came not to be served, but to serve. And though he knew the glories of heaven, he left the glories of heaven and became a slave to us that we might be saved from our sin. He died to his own interests. Jesus died to his own rights. He looked to our needs and interests instead. 
Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for our sins brought us into a deep union with him, and therefore we have died with him. We have died to our rights and our self-interest. How contradictory it is then to name the name of Christ and then to make marriage about you and your happiness and your satisfaction. And don't hear, mishear me. I'm not saying marriage shouldn't be happy and be finding satisfaction. Absolutely it should, but it should be found as you die to self. I say this all the time and to, to my family and to my counseling. If you want to be miserable, keep demanding your rights. But if you want to know the joy of the Lord and the joy of salvation, the peace that he brings, die to self. Live for the interests of others. My goodness, it sets you free like you wouldn't believe once you get out of the way. Stop focusing on yourself. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is not about you. How can it be? You died. Right? A great test to reveal if you suffer from the me marriage syndrome is to answer the question, what is the reason for your marriage problems? I love to ask that question when I counsel with others. You guys are never, ever going to come to me for counseling as I share all this. One of my favorite questions to ask is, well, why, why do you have these problems? Where do these problems come from? Well, it's my spouse. I need my spouse to change. My husband won't leave me. My wife won't stop nagging me. Or whatever. Lots of different reasons. But it's always the other person's fault. That's me marriage. I feel so unappreciated. He won't talk to me, pay any attention to me. She won't leave me alone. Things like that. Turn, if you would, to, to James chapter 4. I, just want, I want you to see this uh, in James chapter 4. As we think about this me marriage, how that's contradictory to what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 about you've died to self. James chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> says, what, this is a great question, what, causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That, that's the same question I'm asking in marital, in marital counseling, right? What's the source of your problems? Why do you think you have those problems? That's what that verse is saying, right? What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? And it doesn't just ask the question. The Word of God answers it. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If I can translate it this way, what that's saying is your problems come from your unmet desires and your self-centered demands that are battling within you. There's that battle within you. Your, your problems come from putting yourself on the throne, I think that's what that verse is saying. You desire and demand happiness. You desire and demand your agenda. You desire and demand your kingdom. You desire and demand that your spouse talks more. You desire and demand that your spouse talks less. You desire and demand that your spouse mows the lawn or fixes the faucet or appreciates you more or just looks you in the eye when they talk to you or doesn't look at you in the eye, whatever, whatever it is. You desire and you demand these things, but you don't get what you want. And so what do you do? You fight and quarrel. You get angry and frustrated and disappointed. So you lash out. You blame. Maybe you have a pity party. Your spouse is in the way of getting what you want, so maybe you manipulate. 
Here's your need, and whatever gets in the way of that need, that's a problem. You're going to do whatever you can to manipulate and control whatever that is. That's blocking what you think you need, this unmet desire. You keep demanding your will be done, your kingdom come. You see, (laughs) the problem with your marriage is self-centeredness. The problem with your marriage is not living out the union that you have by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The biggest problem in your marriage is who? It's you. It's me. You need to die before you die. You need to be dethroned from the kingdom of self. It would be wonderful if your spouse would change. There's no guarantee that your spouse will change, but you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can change. As much as you want your spouse to change, the fact that they won't change or may never change should never change the fact that you change. Right? I hear all the time in counseling that I just need my spouse to change. If my spouse would do this, if my spouse would do that, and that would be wonderful if they did, but you don't need to be rescued from your spouse. You need to be rescued from you. You need to live out Galatians 2.20 and death to self. Marriage is this battleground between these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. It begins in your heart. Who is on the throne of your marriage? You or Christ? You or Christ? So that's the first reason why me marriage, self-centeredness instead of self-denial is very dangerous. It's selfish. But the second reason, and I just flipped away from there, I shouldn't have done that, is spiritual adultery. You find that in James 4 also. The second reason why me marriage is very dangerous is because it leads to spiritual adultery. Pushing on in James 4, verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, just the importance of prayer there. But then sometimes you pray and you don't receive. Why? Verse 3, you ask wrongly. You're still being selfish. You want to spend it on you. Right? That's verse 3. Lord, change my husband. Why won't you change my husband? Because you're self-centered through it all. Is that an ouch or an amen? <clears throat> you guys are never coming back, are you? <laughs> but verse 4, verse 4 really nails it hard. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'm going to translate that this way, that when when we make our desires front and center, when we're not living for self-denial but self-fulfillment, you've made yourself the center of that marriage, and now you are guilty of what verse, verse 4 says there about adultery. You've forsaken the fountain of living water. You're trying to make your spouse your Messiah. You're trying to make your spouse your Savior. That's inevitable when you put yourself at the center of marriage. You try to make your spouse do what only Jesus can do. And your spouse can't do that, not because your spouse is an awful person, but because your spouse wasn't designed to do that. Your spouse isn't designed to be your Savior. Your spouse is designed to lead you to the Savior. Marriage is not an end of itself. Marriage leads to the end, which is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you love and serve and, and die to self, God is glorified, and you find fulfillment there. 
But when you start to look to your spouse to satisfy your desires and your needs, that spouse will maybe for a while do a good job of meeting those needs. But eventually they're going to fail because, again, they're not designed to carry that load. And you're going to get frustrated and disappointed with them and begin to be guilty of spiritual adultery. That's, that's the application of that to marriage. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And again, I'm just trying to flesh out this union with Christ, death to sin, and how we struggle with that. We want to have this me marriage. We want to always put ourselves in the middle. There's that battle always going on of Christ or me, Christ or me, my wants, uh, his wants, her wants, Jesus wants, uh, and just that battle that's there. We tend to have this me marriage of being selfish. We tend to have a me marriage of spiritual adultery. And Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6, tells us what happens when you look to your spouse uh, to fulfill your needs and desires. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, what's that word? What's the next word? Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Cursed is the husband who trusts in his wife and makes his wife his strength. Cursed is the wife who trusts in her husband and makes her husband her strength. That's how you can translate that, right? For application. Whenever you put your trust in anything or anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ, that's called idolatry. That's a biblical word for addiction. That's idolatry. And the scriptures say that that's putting yourself under a curse. That's spiritual adultery, James 4, 7. When you look to your spouse to do what only God can do, you will be drained of joy and hope. But the good news is, keep going, verse 7, Blessed is the man, the wife, the husband, who trusts not in their wife or husband, but where? In the Lord. Blessed are you when you put your trust in the Lord. My husband may fail me. My wife may fail me. The Lord God never fails me. He meets all my desires, all my wants, all my expectations. They're all satisfied in him. I've died to self. I'm united to him. And I am blessed. Even when my wife or husband does the exact opposite of blessing. That person, verse 8, is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the years of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruits. So marriage is a wonderful gift from God. But marriage was never, ever, ever designed to replace God. It was designed to point you to God. It was designed to help you die to self and find your fulfillment in serving others to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I thought I was a pretty loving person and a pretty patient person until I went and got married. And I found out very quickly I was not very loving and patient at all. Marriage quickly exposed my sin. And there's the battle. Right? Am I going to die to self? Or am I going to continue to... Uh, Make my needs first. And when I do that, nothing good comes of that. It's not fair to your spouse. It does not glorify and honor 
the Lord. So let me drive it home just a little bit deeper with just this final thought, the marriage is death. When, coming back to Galatians 2.20, when we recognize and live in this amazing truth that we have been crucified with Christ, it has, again, massive implications for marriage. I've shared some of those. I, I just want to flesh in, get in a little bit deeper with this. If you have died with Christ, then is it not going to be much more easier to be humble in your marriage? Right? Because you've died. What is there to be prideful about? If, if you've died with Christ, died to sin, died to self-centeredness, isn't it going to be that much easier to love your spouse? Does that make sense? If you have died... There is no more claiming of rights. If you have died, there is no more need to control. If you have died, there are no more needs that need to be met. If you have died, it is no longer about you, and you are now free to focus on your spouse. Let me say it this way, if, if you have died, if you've died with Christ by faith, you are now free, this is so life-giving, you are now free to when your spouse acts selfishly or, or speaks uh, cruelly to you or hurtfully to you or does something that's hurtful to you or, or thought, thoughtless or whatever, so whenever your spouse sins against you by word or, or action or whatever that might be, attitude, behavior, you are now free not to do it back because that's what we want to do, right? Someone sins against you, I'll ramp that one up. I'll meet that and I'll double that. And then... It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, right? But look, you've died. So now when your spouse sins against you, you are now free. Praise God, you are now free to respond with grace and love and forgiveness. Because you've died and Christ is in you. That's next week's sermon, but I'm just kind of priming the pump for that. That's amazing truth, isn't it? You've died, so they sin against you. You don't have to sin back. You've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has mastery over you. Christ has mastery over you. You are free not to sin. You are free not to say hurtful words back or give the silent treatment or whatever it is that you do when you try to manipulate and control and hurt. Instead... You are free to have this loving, gracious response. You are free uh, to say to your wife or your husband, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I serve you? How can I give myself for your glory? Maybe it means coming home after a long day of work and helping your kids with the homework. Maybe it means giving your spouse a break with the chores, even when there's plenty of other things that you want to do. Maybe it means lovingly and patiently listening to your spouse well, your favorite show is on or, or you have your phone and you're scrolling through social media and your spouse starts talking to you and you're just, yep, yep. Maybe the loving thing to do when you die to self is you put that down and you look him in the eye. Show that you care. Show that you love them. You die to self. 
Maybe the loving thing to do is saying more than fine when you walk through the door and your spouse asks you, how was your day? It was fine. Or you grumble something. Or see, you die to self. Your, your, your spouse wants to hear about your day, and so you open up about your day. And by the way, that means, spouse, when you ask, you better actually really want to know and not just kind of be asking because it's the thing to do. It means sharing your heart and being open and transparent with your spouse, even if you don't want to. Here's, but here's another thing that it means. And if you missed everything else, please, please, please get this one. If you've died to self, here's what it means. It means you need to crucify your sins. It means you need to do a heart check and discover your sinful attitudes and your sinful speech. What you need to do is more than likely ask your spouse, hey, what are some things that I say and do that really frustrate you and I don't know it? I did that with my wife once and never did it again. No, I'm just just joking. (laughs) I've not done that as much as I should do that. We tried to make that a thing we would do on our anniversary. Uh, Every year we've not been consistent with that. Maybe that's not the smartest time to do that. I don't know. But one one time when we did that, I I asked my wife, what are some things I do that annoy you, that are being self-centered, I'm not thinking about you? And she said something I never would have thought. She said, I come home, when I come home, I have all these books, and she just cleaned off that table. (laughs) And I come in, I just drop them on that table. And she never said a word to me, and I didn't notice if it was frustrating or not, but she said that, I really don't like when you do that. And so I needed to die to self. That was a way in which I was offending or hurting my wife in a way I didn't even know. Husbands and wives, there are ways you're doing that to your wife and husband because they love you. They've been covering that sin. And if you are serious about death to self, then you can go to your spouse and say, hey, how am I sinning against you? What are words that I say or things that I do that really bug you and get under your skin and I need to stop doing? It's really crucial that you die to self because when you do that and they start telling you, the inner lawyer fires up, right? What? But this is why, you have really good reasons why. And so if you die to self, though, you're humble and can hear it and not get mad and angry and defensive. Does that make sense? And so along those lines, in the bulletin, I've given you homework. Don't you love me? I've given you homework. An audit of your marriage, so to speak. And I just challenge you, husbands and wives, to do that with your spouse sometime this week. I would encourage you, uh, even if you have kids, if you have kids and you need someone to babysit those kids, I volunteer my... No, I, we, will, we will do that. I, I'm serious about this. If you need to get away and have a date night with your wife or your husband and talk these things through and think these things through, my goodness, I will, I will sacrifice an evening or, a lot, or anything for that because I want your marriage to thrive. If you're in a growth group and you have, you, have, you have kids and it's hard to get away with your husband and wife, share that with your growth group. And I challenge you growth groups to stand up and say, we'll watch your kids for you so you can get away and do that. All right? Because this is part of dying to self. And that's part of dying to self as a growth group, that you're going to minister to the needs of those in your group. And you want the marriages to thrive, to love and serve and encourage that way. But above all, I would say this. Dying to self means daily, daily, daily reminding yourself of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because I'm telling you right now, you can't do anything I just said this morning apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anything I said this morning easy? No, right? Diet itself, my goodness, impossible apart from the gracious, sovereign work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so daily, daily, daily remind yourself of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to serve, not to be served, that he came to die, that he gave himself for me, that he loved me and gave himself for me. And that empowers you and strengthens you to be the husband and be the wife that God has called you to be. Every day, praying to God Almighty, your kingdom come, your will be done, right here, right now in this marriage. Constantly reminding yourself of that wonderful truth, I have been crucified with Christ. I will do the dishes. I have been crucified with Christ. I will listen to my spouse. I have been crucified with Christ. I will ask them ways in which I sin against them. I have been crucified with Christ. Flesh that out however that needs to flesh out for you. Does that make sense? That's the secret to marriage. Die before you die. I die. What an amazing truth, huh? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ, that it was your will to send him, and that it was also his will to obey, his delight to obey, uh, to live a perfect life on our behalf, to die on the cross for our sins, but also as our representative, that we died with him. Lord, help me, help each one of us here as husbands or wives, as in, as as singles, whatever stage we are in life, Lord, just, just to appropriate this truth of I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I don't live. I've died. I've died to sin, died to self, died to my selfish kingdom building. It's not about me. Help us, Lord, to take that gospel truth and make that just a part of our everyday reality. Help us to daily meditate. And help us to be bold enough to, to believe this truth enough this week uh, to go to our spouse and say, hey, let, let's talk these things through. What are ways that I need to die in this marriage? What are ways that I'm living for myself in this marriage? And maybe, maybe we already know what that is, Lord, and help us to go to you in repentance and thanking you for the forgiveness that is found. And again, Lord, I ask if there's anyone here this morning who is still lost in their sins, they have not been crucified with Christ, they do not have faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that what has been said this morning would plant seeds, that you would give the increase and draw them to yourself. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we bring the, the service to a close, remember today is August 28th, and that's the big day that we set aside to do a love offering for our church. Uh, as you know, from the budget and the bulletin, as we've been talking about it, that uh, we are uh, behind budget-wise and so after much prayer and consideration, we set August 28th as a day to do this love offering. Now, you may have noticed that the offering box is not back there like it normally is. By the fireplace, that's where it normally is. Uh, but that this morning, because it's a big day, we've been praying for this, planning for this, uh, I asked some men to, where I asked Ken Brinks to get some men, uh, that we're going to take an actual love offering this morning. We're going to pass the plate. So I invite them to come up and do that. Um,
If you're a guest with us, by no means do we expect you to put anything in this plate. This is for the members as we uh, seek to love and serve and edify this body of believers. Also, before you go, make sure to ask Ken what the report was on his scans for cancer. It's good stuff. You'll, you'll be praising God with him. Uh, but I'm going to ask, ask Len if you would pray for us. 